0: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey,
1: everybody. It isn't often I can tell you that a podcast episode contains something that I've never talked about on any of my content, but that is the case today. Today, we're going to be talking about how to sell these enterprise-level accounts. I mean, we're talking about, like, Huge accounts, a million dollars a month in volume and more. And I'm going to be talking with Greg, who is an expert, has years of experience, about a decade of experience selling these accounts. And really, we dive into all the nitty gritty details of how he finds them, how he um, sells them, how he goes through the technology integration stuff. So, we're going to talk about all of that today. Um, and then in questions from the field, I'm going to answer a question I got on LinkedIn from a sales representative about um, the question was really about how to compete with Square, Stripe, and PayPal in terms of their pricing. But we really talk more about this the importance of listening with understanding and really one of the keys to making sales. It goes really well, I think, with the interview I did with Greg, um, and so I think you're going to really enjoy this episode and get a lot of practical tips out of it. So let's dive into this week's Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody! I am here today with Greg Forte. Greg is the senior vice president over at Boom Commerce. How are you doing today, Greg? James, I'm doing very well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, I am so excited about our topic today. Uh, so, Greg and I are going to talk about how to sell enterprise level merchant accounts. So, the the real monsters. Uh, Greg has a ton of experience and this is something that I've, we've never talked about that much in the podcast because frankly it's not really my area of expertise. I dabbled in it a little bit with my own ISO but just haven't done a lot of content on it and so I'm really excited to have this conversation. But um, Before we get into that Greg, uh, I know you have a, a long track record of success in this industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and also fill us in a little bit more on exactly what you do at Boom Commerce?
2: Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, James, thank you for the uh, opportunity. I, I look forward to the uh, conversation here today. Sure. So I've been in the payment space for a little over 12 years now and um, had gotten my start at Cam Commerce Solutions, which later became Accelerated Payment Technologies. I uh, spent four years there in various roles, and that was kind of the heyday in terms of integrated Payments. We were pitching against standalone credit card terminals connected sure. to a phone line, so it was a, a very uh, quick sale in terms of going through the process and really where I got my introduction in terms of payments. Uh, quickly moved my way up through that uh, organization, and after about four years there an opportunity presented itself at the uh, Shift4 Corporation uh, located here in Las Vegas. So I was brought on to run hospitality and lodging with Shift4. So I had a hybrid role um, that included working with some of the larger ISVs and software partnerships, as well as the major and named accounts. And so that was when the, the uh, data breaches were starting to happen. So your Target, your Sally Beauty Supply, your Neiman Marcus. Right. And Shift4 was really on the forefront in terms of technology, um, in terms of data security. So your point of encryption, your tokenization, and that allowed us to adopt those technologies for the various software partners. And it ultimately allowed me to contract Two of the largest casino organizations here in Las Vegas. I'm very proud of those opportunities because they're here right in my backyard. Sure. But that really allowed me to understand the complexity in terms of large opportunities and what goes into. Uh, contracting those types of accounts. Right. A lot of moving parts and, and um, I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that. Sure. So after a few years with Shift4, um, I went to Element Payment Services. They had actually been um, acquired by Vantiv and I was a channel development manager there and I managed the um, one of the largest distribution management software. So they had about 7,000 merchants on board Um, We were going through the EMV initiative and liability shift at that same time. So there was a a lot of things happening um, with that organization, Um, but it was a a great experience to go through uh, in terms of working with uh, various accounts, those large uh, software vendors. Sure. And most recently, um, I spent some time at First Data. They, of course, had the merger with Fiserv. Uh, I was brought on to do commercial middle market sales. Um, I had a very successful year and a half there, and I was promoted to national sales for sports entertainment and ticketing. And the role that I had in terms of enterprise was a hybrid role. So I was brought in as an account executive. So my job was to hunt for new enterprise sales, but also support existing enterprise accounts in uh, sports and entertainment. And one of my customers with uh, Fiserv was one of the largest ticketing platforms um, in the world. So um, huh. I spent about two years at First Data, and the opportunity came up with Boom Commerce. And I've known the, um, uh, the folks who are now on the executive and senior leadership team for many, many years, um, who are now uh, senior leadership at Boom Commerce. And the opportunity presented itself for them to bring me on in a senior vice president of channel and business development role. Sure. So my core responsibility is to find those large enterprise opportunities to allow us to grow organically. Um, I'm also responsible for bringing on new agents as well as growing out the product and feature set.
1: Awesome, and I love it your uh, your experience level is so interesting to me because you do have this kind of managerial and structural side to it, but then also the actual hunting and you know and prospecting the large accounts and getting these enterprise accounts on board. Uh, which obviously is a much more complex sales cycle. So, let's let's start off by defining what we're talking about here. So, when we say an enterprise account, I mean when you're defining your target market as enterprise, what does that mean? What's the give us some idea like volume or you know, what what are the criteria that we're talking about here for what you would consider an enterprise account?
2: Yeah, great question. And I think a lot of organizations define it differently. So, I'll sure. let you know how we define it here at Zoom okay. Commerce. Obviously volume in terms of card processing is a big um, indicator or one of those components. So if we were to look at solely um, volume, I would say 20 million in annual processing up to accounts that are processing in excess of a billion dollars in card volume. We also look at the opportunities based on a couple of other factors. One is uh, it may be revenue maybe smaller volume, a little bit more revenue. Sure. We also look at the complexity of the opportunity, maybe a smaller, again, a smaller account in terms of processing volume, but it may be um, omnichannel or multiple ways of credit card data coming into that sure. environment. They may have um, e-commerce, card not present, card present, wallets, push payments. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts in terms of those types of, organizations. So I'd say it's, it's several different factors in terms of what we consider an enterprise account. And then of course, um, maybe an account that has brand, uh, recognition that's out there in the marketplace. If it makes business sense for us to board that account, we could always utilize them from a reference or testimonial standpoint. Sure. And in my, in the sales process and my pitch, I make sure that's a part of it, and I would say that 80 to 90 percent of the customers that I've boarded, we can actually go back to as a reference site, which is critical for, for sure. Getting new customers.
1: Oh my, yeah, so 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 important. Yeah, getting your first enterprise account is always the uh, the toughest one, nearly impossible actually. Uh, it's once you, <laughs> you know you almost have to have some some other way of you know backing up, which we'll which we'll talk about. So, um, so. A lot of our listeners you know would consider an account that does a hundred thousand a month in volume. You know you're talking about accounts that do a million a month, you know way more than that. So you know they're used to doing a hundred thousand a month volume, fifty thousand, 20,000 a month volume. Can you explain, you know at a high level, what is this difference in sales process? Uh, and sales you know uh, you know just kind of the overall steps you're going through here because you've got these small accounts and it's like okay well now I want to go after these monsters what is the the main differences in your mind
2: yeah a couple of things one is definitely timing the sales cycle is a lot longer I've worked on accounts where it's been six to eight months um, you may have project planning in there um, sure you may be on different development cycles where there's um, a need to pull in different types of integration integrations. So timing is, uh, is critical. Sure. It's not a, a quick sale. Um, the other thing is you're working with various individuals within that organization. So you may sure. be working with the C-suite, IT, finance, legal, and it's pulling all of those folks together, yes. um, in order to be successful and yeah. ultimately close that opportunity.
1: Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. And, and for me, you know, um, when I was had my own ISO, you know we did some stuff you know franchise type deals, things like that that had maybe a hundred locations or that sort of thing. but it wasn't until I actually got rid of that side of the business and now more with our software and training where I'm working with really large ISOs, which are kind of my enterprise accounts now um, right. and it is it is interesting because you almost become a a project manager per se, right? It's like you're, you're kind of the project manager and then you're pulling in various individuals from the client you're trying to sell and you're trying to kind of bring everybody through this process, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. So let's do this. Let's let's get really practical um, because I really wanted to give some value to our audience today because I think so many of them are at this point really intrigued. You know, oh, that's amazing. You know, twenty million a, a year account. That sounds like a good account. You know, um, but let's get really practical. So let's talk about prospecting as it exists. I'm sure there's there's many facets of this, but when you're looking for new enterprise accounts, how do you find them?
2: Yeah, a couple different ways. I think one is. Um, definitely, uh, relationships getting out there in the marketplace. I I think it starts by finding those first few opportunities through existing relationships, through software vendors. And I think it also goes back to when you are maybe selling those SMB, um, or middle market opportunities, it's going about it the same way, but you're targeting Um, certain organizations or individuals within those organizations. I had also touched on those um, reference sites. They're critical in terms of uh, leveraging those testimonials and those solutions. Um, The other thing is the industry understanding that you're the go-to or individuals understanding that you're the go-to and you were able to put together a solution for, you know, XYZ merchant. Right. And it really catches on. And numerous times I've had phone calls where they said, Greg, you know, we do a hundred million dollars in processing. We know that you worked with, you know, XYZ company would, would love to have you, you know, talk about your product and where it can bring value to our organization. Right. And it tends to, um, snowball in terms of getting the, the messaging out there that you're not only able to, um, Provide value and a solution to that enterprise organization, but you're able to support them long term. So I would say prospecting similar um, in terms of kind of the, the SMB. It's just the type of customers that we go after, but right. also relationships yeah. um, and building those relationships and partnerships.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing I find I don't know your feeling on this, but but you know, having sold both, I think it is interesting that ultimately you're selling a person. Um, yes. You know, you're the difference I find at least is, you know, when it comes to the large enterprise sale, you're selling like seven people kind of like one at a time and then all together. <laughs> but yes. ultimately you're, you're still selling a business person. Um, and so I guess my next question would be when you do get in contact, so you, you okay, here's an enterprise, you know, you've heard about them maybe from a current client or a relationship that you have. And so you reach out and talk to somebody. Who are you trying to talk with? Is there certain positions you're looking to talk with first or is it C-suite or how do you know you're not just wasting a lot of time dealing with non-decision makers? What are you, what's your strategy for kind of getting to the right person?
2: Yeah. Um, again, a couple, uh, couple points. One is it's, um, it's understanding the pain points within the organization, but it's also understanding the pain points for certain individuals. What might be important to finance might not necessarily be important to IT. They have maybe certain things that they're looking for in terms of securing the environment. Maybe the finance team is looking for, you know, reconciliation reporting, those types of things. So you wanna make sure that you're structuring your conversations and who you have on those calls or um, meetings. That it's that it's structured correctly and you're hitting on those um, pain points there and sure. also I think you mentioned it before it's it's a champion within that organization and um, yep. being able to provide the solution that they're ultimately looking for in terms of their um, their roadmap
1: yeah that's such a good point I, maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit more because I find that that's so important too I'm, I'm often surprised by the I'll give you an example. One of the most profitable deals that I ever sold, uh, not on the merchant services side, but actually in ISO, came from, there was a sales rep, individual rep, who was paying us $29 a month to use our statement analysis tool. And right. this individual loved it and, and was just raving about it and said, I'm, I'm going to tell my sales manager about it. Told his sales manager about it. His sales manager reached out to me. Didn't hear from him for a little while, so I reached back out to the rep. The rep went back to his manager and said, I really think you guys need this tool. That manager ended up going to the president of the company. We ended up getting on a demo, and we sold an account worth tens of thousands of dollars a year. And... You know, that all came from, as you said earlier, it's like that champion within the organization. In this case, it was actually a sales rep, which is pretty unusual. But can you give us a little more context around that when you say like a champion within the organization? What do you mean by that and how do you cultivate that?
2: Yeah, for me, and it goes back to the whole, you know, treating everybody the same within the organization and throughout the sales cycle. So it doesn't matter who you're talking to. Um, there's a good chance somebody in the organization is going to be involved in some way um, with the solution that you're proposing. And so once somebody is um, bought into your solution, they see the true value of it. It's continuing to stay close and work with that individual. You may have a a key contact, and they will kind of follow the process through. You had talked about some of these larger opportunities, um, being a project and being a project manager, you need to understand who's running point on their side because they are ultimately going to pull in the C-suite IT finance developers. And a lot of times that's, that's the person that you want ultimately on your side that sees the value with the solution that you're proposing.
1: Sure. So one of the one of the themes I keep hearing you say that I want to dig into is this technology piece. You've talked about developers, the IT department. Um, yes. This is an aspect that in the SMB middle market, we really don't deal with uh, at all. Maybe a little bit here and there maybe, but very, very minimal. So let's talk about that. And I employ developers. I have a background in development. And so, you know, the developers have a very different set of interests. Um yes. Talk about that a little bit. How do you work with the IT department to, you know, really, I guess, technology in general to find out if you have the right solution and then to end up working with the IT department on that? Can you talk a little bit about the technology piece of these enterprise deals?
2: Yeah, great question. And and I think from an enterprise or middle market standpoint, that is the single biggest piece of the equation. Sure. The pricing piece of it, you know, we can get through that. The contract piece of it, you know, we can negotiate that. When you look at the technology, you want to obviously, from a sales standpoint, um, go through the needs assessment and their pain point. You also want to understand what they've historically used from a solution uh, standpoint, what they're using today, and ultimately what their roadmap looks like one, two, three years down the line. Because from an enterprise standpoint, I want to be part of their long-term strategy right and maybe they contract with us today for a a single solution but as this relationship progresses and they're on board with us maybe we start adding additional products to provide value to their solution. so the technology piece is critical and you want to make sure that if if you have the solution today um that's, that's one thing, but when you're having that conversation, if you don't, that you're able to work with them in terms of maybe pulling in different products. Maybe it's our organization having to bring in a, a strategic third party in order to solve a problem or a pain point for them. So uh, technology, critical piece of the equation. Um, like I said, they might be uh, e-commerce, card not present, card present. They may be using multiple interfaces in terms of software applications that touch credit card data. There might be um, devices involved. And you have to have a really good um, high-level understanding and then be able to sure. bring in folks on those calls with you know IT, developers, mm-hmm. and really run point on that like you said before, that project or project management.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things I hear you saying is it's like the level of creativity to get these deals done is just like exponentially higher. um, Right. Because, you know, it's not cut and dry. It's not, I'm going to save you money or I'm going to give you a free Clover mini. It is, you know, well, tell me more, give me more. And you know, like one of my favorite sayings is, can you give me a little more context? You know, I say that, I, I just said that like 10 times already today on different calls, you know, it's like, I need more context because you know what they yes. say. Of course, is well. Can you do this? Yes. Maybe you know. Give me more context. What do you? What exact? Why exactly do you want it to do that? What's your end goal, right? And so, um, and then of course the developer side. I think it's interesting. You know, isn't it? It's so interesting. Like trying to deal with their expectations of time. You know, people don't understand. You know, in a company, developers are very expensive you know, they're $120,000 a year on average for a decent developer. So, you know, it's $10,000 a month. And so for you to for you to have a project that's going to take their team three weeks for three developers, you know, that's a huge investment, right?
2: Yeah, and you, you definitely want to have those uh, conversations up front. You want to be able right. to set and manage expectations. Again, going back to the project plan, and it's also about setting uh, timetables yes. and goals that you're ultimately going to meet. Um, because some of these, you know, the, the sale is just kind of step one. It's going through the whole yes. process um, in terms of pulling different things together, ultimately towards implementation and yep. processing credit cards. So just getting through the, the pricing, the contract, the right. front end technology piece, that's great. Where the real work starts is after the sale and going through that sure. through that process. And,
1: and wouldn't you say that I, you know, at least what in my experience, one of the mistakes that's easy to make is. You know going after the sale very aggressively, and like i'm going to get this yes i 'm going to get them to sign the contract, but then after it's signed, you've put yourself in a in an untenable position where you've made promises you can't keep, you have timetables that are going to stress you out. you know that can be you know in my experience it's like if you sell an, uh, you know a small business and you don't come through well, you just call it quits, everybody goes home. You get halfway through a technology integration and realize that you didn't fully research and you can't do something you promised that you could do. You now have a pretty big problem, right?
2: Yes, yes. So one is um, transparency in yes. terms of you know what you're able to offer today, and then what you can ultimately provide, um, you know, six months down the road, a year down the road, and just making sure that there's clear communication and synergy between you know both of those organizations I think that's um, critical during that sales process
1: yeah. Love it. Okay, so uh, I've got two more questions for you. So, um, number one, I want to talk about the the close a little bit. So, once you feel like, okay, I've done all of this kind of post sale. It's almost like you're doing post sale work ahead of the sale in a way, right? Like I've got that mapped out. I know what I want to do after the sale is done. I have a good value proposition. I feel like I have consensus with these people I'm working with. Everybody seems to be on board. What do you do? Any tips on how do we find out, okay, who's making this final decision, who's involved in that, and let's get them to actually commit and take action. Is there anything specific you do there?
2: Yeah, I think one, going back to the putting timetables around the opportunity as a whole and making sure that those, um, those timetables are set and things don't slip. We talk about you know things slipping in terms of yes. contract. So that's, uh, that's critical. And, um, you know, a a lot of times there, there may be, especially with enterprise accounts, maybe certain reasons why they're coming off of other providers or other platforms. So you can really leverage that in terms of the sale. And that may be a pain point for them. So continuing to uh, keep those conversations progressing in terms of Um, maybe the reason that they're coming off or the reason that they're changing to to a new platform there. And I think the other thing is on these large opportunities, there's a lot of folks that are investing a lot of time. You're not going to have that single call close. So when they start pulling in different individuals, everybody's hopping on numerous calls, you know, we're there to handhold them through the process. And I think that's critical because there are a lot of moving parts. So I think going back to that whole transparency, constant communication, know that letting them know that we're going to be there for them, you know, before the sale, during the implementation, and then the customer service piece of it, which uh, I feel is, you know, like I said, the sales step one, the customer service, the post sale and being able to provide support for these enterprise customers uh, separates them from uh, separates you from them being on board with you for, you know, six months, a year as sure. opposed to having that long term, you know, five, sure. seven year relationship.
1: Love it. Wow. Such, such good information. So we have a few minutes left and I really want to use this time because Greg, I feel like our listeners, um, have probably listened to this with a lot of interest and they think this sounds awesome, but I think a lot of them might also think I can't do this on my own. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it is unbelievably difficult to get that first account because you, you kind of almost have to have some kind of connection with a larger entity that has experience that can say, hey, we have done enterprise accounts like this one. It is very challenging. Sure. The first one I did, I actually ended up working with um, a, a different processor that that had actually experience working. It was a multiple location uh, shop that did uh, the um, it was like a smoke shop, you know, and they had like 25 locations, and that was my first like big account like that. And I ended up being able to get some references from another company. So, walk us through a little bit about Boom Commerce. Um, what is the opportunity that you see for agents? And then close us out with giving us some contact information. What you know, if, if an agent was interested in what you're talking about and wanted to reach out to you to discuss further, um, give us some contact information at the end of what they would do to to reach out.
2: Yeah, so I think one of the most important things is um, Boom Commerce. Us as an organization, you know, we're large enough to handle those enterprise customers, but small enough to where we can have that white glove approach to some of the larger opportunities. I think one of the critical pieces uh, for for me, along with our agents, is we work on multiple platforms. So first, the data thesis along with WorldPay, and then we work with. Um, quite a few sponsor banks on the back end. If sure. somebody's looking at uh, getting place, there's a good chance that we can place those customers, both large enterprise tier one accounts, as long as some, uh, as well as some of those tier two um, opportunities. So we're always looking for uh, new agents to come on board with us. And um, if somebody... I say, you know, I tell all of our agents, if there's an opportunity that you're not comfortable with, or you're not sure how to sell them or what technologies to bring into the equation, reach out to me, reach out to our team, and more than happy to be involved in that process with you as as little or as much as you need us. And I think that separates us from a lot of other uh, companies out there. So- For sure. um, yeah, it's not only you know the the enterprise merchants you know with uh with organic growth within boom commerce but it's bringing on those agents and strategic partners uh as well
1: Sure, and I think a lot of our listeners. Uh, I know I've been in that position before, where yeah, you, know, you have a good process of relationship potentially, but you know you run into a very, very large account that you're just not exactly sure what to do about it. it doesn't seem like anybody at your ISO knows what to do about it either. Um, and so it sounds like what you're saying is, especially in those situations, maybe they could reach out, um, or if they're even just looking for other opportunities. So uh, where would you send them to learn more about you and to learn more about Boom Commerce?
2: Yeah, so more than happy. Happened- to have them reach out to me directly, uh, my email is gforte at boomcommerce.com, G-F-O-R-T-E at boomcommerce.com, or my direct telephone number, 702-762-2611. And if I'm not able to help them directly, more than happy to point them in the right direction for somebody within our organization that may be able to help.
1: Great. And give us that phone number one more time, Greg.
2: Sure. 702 702-
1: Awesome, Greg. So much valuable information, so many insights. I know our listeners are just absolutely loving it. I really appreciate you taking the time today to share it with us.
0: This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training, to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepherd.
1: So today in Questions from the Field, I got a great question on LinkedIn. uh, And here is the question. Uh, the question is, um, one challenge now that I'm facing and growing my business is with more and more merchants using the pricing of Square, PayPal, Stripe, etc., merchants really like the flat rate with no monthly fees. I've offered that to some merchants where the volume justifies it, but for smaller accounts, how do you zoom in on features and customer service without sounding cliche and just like everyone else? So. I thought this was really a great opportunity to talk about some sales techniques that I really haven't talked about as much on the podcast and in some of my content that I use still today on a regular basis when selling our technology, our training, and things like that. Um, and so, one of the things that you have to keep in mind is as a sales professional, you need to make sure that you're keeping the leverage. So I'll talk for just a moment about this specific issue, but it really is uh, comes in a larger context of just a sales context of being able to sell people things. Um, In this particular situation, obviously what I would say is offer flat rate pricing. And so you bring up, well, the smaller accounts and where it doesn't make sense, it should make sense on the smaller accounts. In fact, the flat rate pricing and all of that makes more sense on the smaller accounts than it does on the larger ones. Um, And so when you mention here that the volume maybe doesn't justify it. I think that really comes back around to a conversation you need to have with your ISO. If your ISO wants you to compete with Square and Stripe and PayPal, they are going to have to make flat rate pricing available to you, um, especially for those smaller merchant accounts. I would actually argue that on the larger accounts, that's where you really can pitch to them, look, flat rate pricing isn't best for you. Because there's so much variability with interchange costs and things like that, that if I did you at flat rate, you know, two point six nine percent and ten cents, that actually wouldn't be the best deal for you, Mister Merchant. It would be better to be on interchange plus pricing, which looks a little more complicated. I'll give you that, but it's cheaper. And at the end of the day, don't you want to save money? Because with interchange plus, we can be more transparent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as far as this specific situation, I actually think this is more of, a, of an issue that you need to talk to your ISO about a realistic plan to go after and. compare. Compete with these companies by offering flat rate um, pricing with no junk fees, and it does make a lot of sense on the smaller accounts. Now, does that mean the smaller accounts are going to be very profitable? No. And that's just the market. You know, the market has dictated through Square and Stripe and PayPal and others that, um, you know, the advent of these pay facts has basically said these smaller accounts are not as profitable as they used to be. That's just all there is to it. Um, and so there's nothing I can tell you to say. Here's how you need to, you know, find an account that's doing 5000 dollars a month. Here's how to get that account from Stripe or Square by charging them more. I don't know how to tell you how to do that, right? Sure, you can emphasize, um, you know, customer service and things like that, which we'll talk about in a minute. But ultimately, you know, you're going to have to. You know, you're going to have to compete in the marketplace here. And right now, because of the way that these pricing structures have worked, if you want to get those smaller accounts, which is maybe you don't, you know, like in other words, maybe it's not worth your time to go after those accounts. So then don't go after them. But if you're going to go after them, you're competing with companies that have these flat rate programs that are very cost effective for a smaller merchant because they don't have all the junk fees. And so you're going to have to play ball uh, with them. So, now moving away from that for a second, though, let's talk about this really I think the, the big question which is um, how do you zoom in on features and customer service without sounding cliche and just like everybody else. So the way that you do that is by not zooming in on them and instead by following the lead of the merchant. Okay, something I've been very aware of lately is I've listened to. I actually had a consulting client recently send me some call recordings I was listening to, and just talking to different salespeople. One thing I become very aware of is um, a lot of salespeople in our industry tend to forget that the key to making a sale is not talking. The key to making a sale is listening with understanding. Okay, so do you have to know how to talk and communicate well and and convince people in order to sell? Obviously, yes you do, but the thing is everybody has that. In other words, if you're in sales and you don't know how to effectively communicate your ideas, your concepts to the prospect, you're not going to succeed. Like That's a prerequisite, but it's not going to set you apart. It's not going to make you super successful. The difference, the thing you can do that will set you apart that will actually make you really successful in sales. Is this ability to listen with understanding, then to customize your response and customize your presentation and customize which ideas you're going to present to that merchant based on what that merchant is telling you about their business and your understanding of them, right? So, what do I mean by this? Well, if I wanted to set myself apart as far as customer service, it's very simple. I would ask the merchant and say, um, let me ask you a couple of really quick questions. You know, how long have you been in business, first of all? So I'm going to get a little small talk going. Oh, we've been in business for 10 years. Wow, that's great. That's great. Um, Now, I would guess, correct me if I'm wrong, in 10 years, I would imagine you've had several different credit card processing relationships. Am I right? Yes, we have. Tell me about your experience so far. You know, I'm always so curious about this cuz I got into this industry and as I, you know, I'm a local company trying to provide great levels of service, but I find that a lot of companies don't really hold those same standards and I'm just kind of curious, what has your experience been so far? What is your kind of high-level feeling about credit card processing in general and these companies in particular that you've worked with? So I'm going to ask that question and um, I'm gonna wait for the responses back. If they're working with somebody like a Square, for instance, um, knowing about these competitors is important, right? So understanding that Square doesn't really have a great, you know, proactive customer service uh, situation. Um, you know, maybe I would bring that up and say, um, You know, number one, I'm just curious why did you switch to Square? What was it that you were not satisfied with in terms of your previous relationship that caused you to consider going with a big company like Square? Um, What was it that, that caused that switch? And then number two, now that you're with Square, how would you rate their service in terms of their ability to proactively reach out and to help you grow your business, understand the technology that they're offering? How would you rate that experience? And so I would dive into that. And then it's like, what am I going to say? Well, it just depends on what they say, right? If they say, I love Square. I think they're amazing. You know, their customer service has been fantastic. And I'm like, okay, great. That's awesome. So glad to hear that. Let's talk about their technology for a second. How are you using their technology to increase your revenue? I I get it from a cost perspective, right? You you like Square because the cost is maybe lower or at least it's simpler than who you had before. There's no junk fees and I understand all that. Um, But let's talk about actually growing your business because as you know, payments have really become integrated into the core structure of your business in terms of your point of sale system, inventory management, marketing, collecting that data at the point of sale. So how have you been working with Square to actually see an increase in revenue is that something that you've seen? Um, now they might say, Well, you know, we have this point of sale system, but we really don't know how to use it, and we haven't been doing any really any marketing. And now I'm going to transition to talk about that. So the key is, you don't want to go into a conversation with these preconceived ideas about here's what I am going to tell them is important to them. First we want to go what is important to them through a conversation, then we want to circle back and then we want to talk to them about what we know they believe is important. And Ultimately, that is sales. That's what actually sets you apart in sales is your ability to listen with understanding and then have that creativity to come back um, and explain to them how what you have to offer meets their specific needs better than who they have now and really ultimately to some extent that's how every sale is made.